Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Paul. And this week, we're joined by a very special guest, none other than Frederick Olson, Frictional Games creative lead on 2020's Amnesia Rebirth and 2023's Amnesia the Bunker, which was notably Neil's game of the year and my game of the year runner-up, but hopefully our guest won't hold that against me too, too much. So without further ado, Frederick, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, guys. I'm super happy to be here, and... Um... No, I will try not to hold it against you, Jay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Second, runner-up is good enough for me. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, aggregate that just makes you the top, either, either way. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Fine. that's how I that's how I <laughs> counted as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, before the show, we were saying how you know you had listened to our chat about rebirth and, of course, the bunker. So, I don't think it's any surprise that uh, we are both massive fans of uh, you know. Frictional's return to Rebirth post uh, a machine for pigs. But, you know, before we dive into Amnesia, uh, we'd love to start with, you know, your journey in becoming a creative lead for Frictional Games and, uh, you know, just what the heck that role entails. Yeah. Uh, so how far uh, far back should we start? I mean, I have a diff- bit of a different uh, journey into, and I think that's interesting, actually, because I I came out of university having like studied uh, s- uh, computer science and went into Toyota on the forklift side and worked there for mm-hmm. multiple years like we can call it a project manager role basically where where I was traveling around in Europe trying to to implement systems in in a sales organization se- selling forklifts. I mean, that's that's sexy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was a super super interesting job, and I learned a lot from it. And then I left from there, went into the IT consultancy industry in in Stockholm, like a team manager out holding workshops for for companies and stuff like that. But I've always like dreamt of. Uh, doing uh, games uh, and I had an idea since a teenager actually to make a soccer game uh, where you play 11 versus 11 in a turn-based football game, soccer game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, eventually I, I had the opportunity with a friend to actually just quit my job and uh, get no salary for uh, many years and then <laughs> uh, straight into setting this this little soccer game of ours up. Uh, so me and Anders, my, my good friend, uh, we did this for many years actually and ran a live game um, only on two people, which was crazy at that time. So that like, we're talking yeah. 2006, we started that and we closed it down in 2012 or 2013. I, I don't know really when it was. Um, 
But uh, eventually I ended up in, uh, after that, I ended up as a producer on uh, Tarsier Studios who made Little Nightmares. Uh, I worked on, for example, uh, a Tearaway project together with uh, Media Molecule as a producer. And then, yeah, yeah from there I went into, uh, I, I left Tarsier and ended up at Frictional. And at that time, I was also a producer, executive producer, <clears throat> came in just after Soma. So uh, first project for me was was Amnesia Rebirth. We ran that, uh, me as a producer on that project, but halfway through or something, we felt we had to change the organization a bit on that project. So I actually, uh, and that then uh, the creative lead came and said that uh, he wanted to leave that role for whatever reasons and uh, mm -hmm. and step down in responsibility. Still an important part of the of the the team and everything, but someone else had to like take on the role of of the creative lead. So kind of holding together the vision and then making sure the game came together. And then Thomas Grip, my uh, the founder of of uh, Frictional Games, he said, "So Frederick, why don't you do it? You have tons of ideas." <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do it. <laughs> and then I took that over and uh, and saw that project through. And uh, then after that, I, I um, did the crazy thing of pitching another game just after that. Uh, and that was Amnesia <laughs> the Bunker. And I, I pitched it actually to begin with as a DLC. But very, very shortly after we started working on it, we realized this is not going to be a, a DLC. This has to be a standalone game. Uh, and then it yeah. kind of evolved from there. Um, yeah, so that's my life story. Uh, <laughs> I left out some parts when I was in the kindergarten and stuff, but... Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. We can do that on episode two, right? Uh, yeah, sure. that's, that's the early years. Yeah. When Frictional Games announces their inevitable next project, we'll have you back and we'll go through the, the adolescence of uh, Frederick yeah. Olson as well. But, um, you know, before we dive too much into the bunker... I want to talk a little bit about just, you know, you becoming the creative lead for Rebirth, because I would have to imagine that that was probably somewhat of a daunting task, right? Um, frictional getting the reins back and returning to, you know, amnesia after, you know, Chinese Room had done a machine for pigs and whatnot. Um, could you just talk about kind of what that process was like in becoming the creative lead um, and sort of, I suppose, how you approached that project? Yeah, so if I'd been there from like on the creative side from day one, I think it would have been more daunting to me. Uh, but taking hmm. it over halfway through, like the story was already set, the so the, the narrative of the game was already set, and I just more like had to find a a core for the game. I even talked about, I think I mentioned in some other places, but I, I, I remember people making fun of me because I started talking about buckets. So we had to fill buckets. We had a pregnancy bucket, you know, the, the, the <laughs> we had a torture bucket. So instead of talking about core pillars, which could feel like a, uh, like a fairly abstract word sometimes, I, I just yeah. said, like, let's fill the buckets and talk to the team about that. I even got a present from the writer when he came to visit with two small buckets uh, and gave me uh, <laughs> that way I could plant some some flowers in. But anyway, that 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 approach was was where I came in and we made some changes to the game, like the gameplay with the pregnancy and talking to the baby to get more of the pregnancy in and 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 trying the 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 challenge of that game was really to see if we could make the 
the player care about like uh, the baby, something they couldn't really see or or take on or, or anything like that. So we yeah. kind of fuel that as a core. And then we had certain aspects of the theme is with the torture and the pain that people feel in the world, in, in especially in that world. And we tried to fuel that. We had the monster side of things where Taz is turning into a, 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 a monster. So, so it, halfway through, that's when we started working on the core. So that was kind of the problem we had up until then. We didn't really find the core. Uh, uh, yeah, until I came in, that sounds like I'm boosting myself. That's not what I mean. But that was my my main like focus to try and find that and drill it into the team and try and have everyone just looking for potential ways of filling these buckets, if if you say. Uh, but for me, it was super fun. I mean, I've always like, so I did that on, on the football game. Of course, that was a creatively the visionary side of things and mm -hmm. keeping that together. But after that, I went into the more pro producer role, more Excel sheets, more working with people mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, so I was happy to get back into the creative side of things. Uh, I was going to say about that. Um, as you said, you came in halfway through because it, there was like a stumbling block in making that game sort of work in the way that we needed to um did a lot of that come from like you know expectation for the company because you know, it had been nearly a decade since the first game and how much impact that had had on you know the horror genre and indie horror in general you know to actually come back them as a company and try that again was that proving to be a bit daunting Actually, that question has to go to the rest of the team who were there. Because when I came in, I, I didn't come in with that backpack of having like creatively yeah. run the project for such a... So instead, I was like, as a producer, you sit on the sideline of the creative stuff. Mm. And and I was talking to the creative lead throughout the process. and, and like, But I could always... I didn't want to step on any toes or change anything up. Um, but when the creative lead then actually came and said that uh, it's not working out for me, I don't think uh, I, I would like to step down in responsibility. Just just a matter of just not feeling that they could find the core of, of this game. Yeah. Uh, and then I, so, so, so I'm, for me, it was just more like, yeah, let's do this. Let's get the 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 let's get shit done. <laughs> I, I I came in in at it, so I didn't really. I mean, it would have been worse, I think, as the first game. But I also don't. I don't yeah. function that way. In a, I don't get scared by challenges. Rather, the opposite. It's kind of in I guess yeah. in my nature that I don't really like. I, uh, I maybe it's stupid, but I don't. <laughs> I don't feel the pressure in that sense. Uh, I don't. Yeah, so. but no. more exciting to sort of add to that legacy yeah. rather than yes. taking it as a, a daunting task. Yeah, that makes and sense. And also, it's sense, worth but... pointing out this was the first project being run uh, within Frictional when we tried to become a two-project uh, two studio, which we are now. Mm. And that so that meant Thomas, for example, who had been creative lead on Soma and on Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Uh, not being part of Rebirth, uh, taking part as a sounding board and those kind of things, but not uh, like 
involved in day-to-day development of it. So it was a completely new organization. People that had worked in the in, in the the team previously now taking on more responsibilities and uh, uh, so so I I think that uh, that was the thing that kind of made the start of the game probably more difficult uh, for them. I'm curious. You mentioned that originally the bunker was was going to live a life as DLC. What was that kind of initial pitch for it, um, which obviously it didn't end up being DLC, it ended up being this full-fledged product. But, um, you know, what was that sort of initial pitch? And uh, I suppose the follow-up to that will be like, how did the vision of what the bunker was change over the course of, you know, meeting with the team, deciding this won't be DLC, this will be a full-fledged uh, amnesia game? To me now, looking back, I don't know exactly how it was, but to me, it feels like it was a very, very short time that it was TLC. It's a matter of <laughs> days almost, because I hmm. I think the reason why I pitched as a DLC was that uh, I felt Rebirth could benefit from that as like a, have yeah. something latched onto that. But the original pitch is so far away from uh, what Rebirth was, like a linear narrative experience. So like maybe it could have worked. Uh, <laughs> to to have a, a a much more open world more like leave it up to the player what they are supposed to do to find out find their own ways like we do in in uh, in the bunker compared to rebirth that is much more like linearly developed and then it's just just hand a bit more handholdy than the bunker for example so um I think it was like, yeah, almost a, probably a few weeks when we realized, because the original pitch was um, the gun. So I was really like, why don't we? I remember, for, no, first of all, World War One was probably the first that popped up because it popped up during Rebirth. Someone mentioned, what if we were a French soldier in World War One uh, in an amnesia game? Uh, we could make a DLC out of it. And I think that was just, basically the first thing and then i started like dwelling over that and then i came like okay what what if we have a gun for the first time in an, in an amnesia game and then uh the generator because the generator i don't know if people really see that but that's at least what i why i brought up the generator is like i want i think amnesia is about darkness and lighting like the gameplay in between it's always been that way but in the previous games we had the sanity mechanics um, and I wanted it to be uh, instead switching the sanity mechanic for a mechanic that actually like influence your abilities and your gameplay and your experience more uh, on a visceral in a visceral way what do you say like more uh, um, so so that's that the generator was part of it. The monster, uh, the monster, uh, like the stalker, having a stalking entity throughout the game was came from us having that as a like we hope to get some kind of uh, functionality for the ghouls in for rebirth where they could be stalking you. But fairly early we saw there was no use because of the linearity of the game. So I mean the the, the ghouls pop up at certain moments and just implementing an AI that for for those short moments didn't make sense, but we actually made some 
going in and out of holes and popping up and things like that that we didn't use in rebirth so also that part was was uh, um part of it and then so so the the original pitch was the gun world war one generator uh and um the flashlight i think basically that was the whole thing and then just talking about how that the experience we could get out of the generator getting dark when you're out there i think also maybe like one single save point was also very early part of it um so and we say that actually we've done the post-mortem people like we've done a post-mortem here at frictional where people sent in and uh their feedback after the bunker project and it's so many people just saying that the core was set so early and it just grew. We, we hardly discarded anything for this game. So it went really fast from a, from our perspective, like um, we take five years between games, <laughs> traditionally, you know, like the Dark Descent 2010 and then Zoma 2015. Of course, we had a machine for pigs, but that was Shiny's room uh, in between. But then we had Rebirth 2020 and then all of a sudden, like 2023. So uh, it was quite a rapid uh, project from our perspective and it's just such a nice project everyone i think everyone loved it because it had this core set uh, replayability was also yeah was also part of it from day one um randomness and things like that so so i i'm starting to realize there were more stuff in my pitch than i <laughs> remember but yeah <laughs> They, they were the key things. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then how it grew from there was just basically that it grew very organically. So just realizing grenades and breaking everything made of wood should be breakable basically in the game. And then, okay, how can we break that? Explosive barrels. Uh, how can we actually make explosive barrels explode by pouring fuel on the ground, setting fire to it with a flare and all of those and when we were done, we kind of realized, hey, we made a, a horror immersive sim here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, I, I need to say one more thing before my rambling stops here. <laughs> you guys. That's all right. It's normally my job. Yeah, yeah, so okay. yeah I'm thinking <laughs> you came to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, the, the final thing I would say is that very early on, I said as well, I don't want this to be handholding. I want it to be the opposite because I have this kind of strong love for my youth days when I was playing games and how it felt like I had to really understand the games myself, take on the games. I mean, you didn't even have an internet when I was younger where you could check for solutions or anything like that. And and like things like tutorialization and stuff like that was very limited. So I wanted it to be much more like that, but still give the player the information they needed but they had to actually, so we found some middle grounds. I didn't even want to, at first, I didn't want to pinpoint which notes had important stuff in them. But as you know, in the final version, there is a note, uh, there is a pin that, that indicates that this is an important note. But then the player has to actually consume the content of that note. And I think that's the, a good level of, of, of where we left it, uh, but, uh, and make their own uh, understanding of it. There's no GUI showing you, there's no objective markers in the game, nothing like that, because we wanted the player to be in a 
it's a planning state in the admin office, especially, and just take everything they know, check the map, check their inventory, how do we progress, and and then making those runs. So yeah, it, the game just just grew out of those kind of core set the core setup of the game, and then it grew so organically. Um, it was a a blast working on this project. And I think most of the team seems to have felt the same. Yeah, you know, as somebody that has been a fan of fractional games since, you know, the Penumbra days, uh, and, you know, I remember as a kid picking up the, like, box set of all those Penumbra games at, like, CompUSA, which isn't even a thing anymore, which is showing my age a little bit. But, you know, I think that while the immersive sim approach was new and refreshing for the Amnesia series, it still felt like, and it kind of speaks to what you were saying about the fact that you wanted to have like a focal point being a weapon, right? In the original Penumbra, there was combat, but then that was ditched and then didn't pop up again in an amnesia game uh, until the bunker or something like that. But it wasn't just like putting combat in for the sake of it. It was more like, hey, you've got this gun, but that gun is also a key in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, right? Or it's like the fuse basically to set off, you know, barrels or as you mentioned, like you can set, start fire with the gasoline and these things. And, you know, that was... A nice surprise with the bunker, but it was really surprising, I think, and you know, it's most people's experience probably with the game, diving into it and just finding all of the freedom that you have. Because I think that sometimes in games, a little bit to like what you were saying, it's like their games typically are like, hey, this is the right way to do this or the right way to do that for a solution to a problem. And yet in the bunker, I mean, half the fun that I had with it was just like messing around with these different tools that are at my disposal and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then kind of just reinforcing this idea that like it's immersive sim, but in experimenting with I want to go down this corridor or that corridor, I might find a grenade that then can all of a sudden open up an earlier area. Mm. Um, and that was one of the aspects of the bunker overall that was just like the experimentation aspect and the immersive sim angle. You know, it seemed very foreign to Amnesia initially, but it just felt right at home. I think the more that you get in, the more that you explore. Mm. Um, so I think like, one question I have about having an immersive sim focus, um, how challenging was it to like have a narrative playing out in that gameplay style? Because, you know, the nature of immersive sim is it's up to the player to dictate how they want to go about an environment, what they're going to prioritize and whatnot. And with the Amnesia games, the narrative is so strong. Uh, I'm curious, you know, with this not being a linear, typical experience, how did you guys kind of tackle that? To be honest, I think we just uh, we came up with an interesting backstory and and a narrative for the game, and then, frankly, what we said was, so if you look at, the, I think when you make a game, this is something I learned during the bunker. Actually, it became very like evident to me that when you make a game, it's quite difficult to make it what should be the core of the game and for bunker the gameplay was the core that's without a doubt and of course you can make if you're trying to accomplish a theme a strong theme let's say soma for example uh then it's quite difficult to say we should have a really one of the coolest uh narratives ever and themes ever and have the player experience that but at the same time we're gonna have the coolest gameplay or immersive gameplay very open. And I think it's just a super difficult task to have both as a core. This is just something for me personally now that I thought about 
a lot because then you start it's so easy to say okay if we have for example tons of mechanics that needs to work together then all of a sudden okay but if we're going to tell this narrative we can't do it in this specific way we need to do it with the mechanics that we have or something like that and then you start making uh, compromises with the narrative instead and uh, so so for me the idea like with bunker was let's make a game that is challenging and rewarding those two words were super important to me all the time so challenging that gives us um, replayability and things like that is like uh, randomness i mean to make it fun to to play it again and the challenge should be from first second uh, if you exclude the intro which is um uh, which you can skip in consecutive playthroughs, by the way. So uh, the second you step out into the bunker, it should be challenging. And therefore it will be hopefully rewarding for the player. And then we had this interesting narrative, but I just, like we said, let's just put it in notes. Let's not force them onto the player like we do with other games where when you pick up a note, it pops up in front of your face on the screen. Instead, it goes into your inventory so you can read it when you're in that mode, preferably in the admin office, for example. Let's highlight which notes are not read yet and let's give the player a, a very simple sorting function. I don't know if you even know that that existed. Uh, uh, at the top of the notes, you have a, a little switch so you can change it to read the note, see the notes ordered in uh, the time that it was written instead of the according to author. Uh, so to give the player a, a, a different way of consuming uh, the narrative or the the, the notes at least, and, and build their own narrative of what actually happened before the bunker uh, fell into chaos. Um, so I think we just basically said, let's take the narrative let's put it there but don't let it affect the challenge and the tension and all of that that we have going with this game and it's also the first like it is a fairly it is a new thing for us as a studio to do so you can see it also as an experiment for the studio to see if we can pull this off so like trying to mix that in and it becomes so much more complicated trying to build uh, an immersive sim style game with a strong narrative um, uh, that unfolds to the player. So instead, it was basically just a simple decision to say that we make it simple, we add it uh, in good, we we put it in places where it makes, where it's most suitable, but we allow for the player to actually do the work on consuming it. Yeah, it's like basically each end of the game is held up by a story handle, effectively, that lays out and everything in the middle is up to you yeah. effectively so you have your beginning you have your ends and all, you know, you've basically got these croutons of knowledge that you get for it yeah and also i think one thing that was super important was that we uh, so we didn't want we actually the idea for the game was that you should be able to play it without caring at all about the narrative but that you then would miss something. And uh, so since we don't care about spoilers in this, you know that there's <laughs> actually one place where you find a, 
uh, an item that can be useful, especially in the end sequence, uh, if you have put all of the pieces together. So that was deliberately so to reward people that actually took time to to consume the narrative and understand what is the monster and how do we, um, how can I actually approach it? So instead of rewarding them with um, a mental reward they got uh, or, or a narrative reward they got a gameplay reward actually uh yeah and, uh, put some more in the role of you know, the character as well that yeah. way so it's because you know you are funneling the story the way you want it to go even though the outcome will effectively be one, one or two it's still yeah as you say you can delve deep into it find out so much more and as a result like in any real life situation the more you know the better chance you've got of getting through a situation yeah. Plus, I suppose also, you know, this is such an anecdotal game. You know, I think that's probably what half of Neil and my chat about the game last year was. It was just us talking about how we approach certain scenarios and how we would have wildly different outcomes just based on personal preferences, which is, you know, half the fun of this game. And I think that also it speaks to why it's so replayable, because the fact that, you know, again, it's on the player to decide how they're going to prioritize certain things. War stories. We actually talked a lot about war stories when we like went through the development that we wanted to create war stories for people and and their own war stories so it's very different from for example if if you guys are talking about rebirth you probably talk about the same scenes and you know how the scenes mm. play out when when tasia ends up in this uh, bear trap or uh, like th that trap for example uh, it's it's the same scene uh, but here you have yeah. this oh in the arsenal when this happened to me or, or when I stepped on this trap and all of a sudden shit broke loose and I ran yeah so yeah war stories sorry I interrupted you no, no please that was perfect because that kind of leads me to what was great about you know we got early press copies of this game and then getting to see people online post clips of these crazy you know MacGyver traps <laughs> that they basically concocted to get through <laughs> doors and things like that um, you know there was one where there was a barrel by a door and they had a gasoline trail and then they used like a bucket to catch a flare that fell when you opened up a door and then they could use that flare to light the stream that then blows up the door. And it was like, there were so many videos like that popping yeah. up um, that, you know, I would never have imagined that there would be all these war stories for an amnesia game. But as we've been saying, right, the gameplay really does facilitate that. Um, and, you know, the first time you realize like, oh, that gun is a key. It's not just this mm. traditional sort of firearm. Uh, I mean, we had countless war stories about just like, oh, I tried to shoot the beast when it came up on me, but I missed and hit a barrel, which sent it scurrying, but then it also blew up a door nearby yeah. that I couldn't get through. So like little moments like yeah. that and just how organic they pop up was, you know, something that uh, we really, really enjoyed about it. But, you know, I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about uh, the beast or the stalker and sort of the decision process behind settling on this primary singular antagonist that's recurring. Um, and, you know, always hunting the player and how noise really is a, a big, a big factor uh, in the bunker. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Yeah, it's, um, I think it came, so 
there's very it's very difficult finding specific points in time and how they how things develop when you when you look back on it it's it's always uh, like a bit fussy <laughs> but i know for if, i think what i mentioned earlier that it came originally from us having played with uh, the stalking mechanics in rebirth i think that was the seed and then um, and then if you add to that that we were thinking about the dlc to begin with then one antagonist uh, could work well and then like and then since we already had the idea of ghouls going in and out of holes it was just just okay okay we're doing this in a bunker world war one they're perfect there's so much dirt around you that's where you can be crawling uh <laughs> so i mean the mechanic that that was like almost natural to us so we didn't have to decide much on that fact then how how could uh, how we developed like the design for the monster that's very different because of course there has it, it has to be a monster that can come out of holes that the player can't go into so the holes need to be fairly small and uh, you need to start thinking about how do we design a monster and at the same time we want the monster to be fairly big when it walks through at you at in a in, through a corridor or whatever so i think i i was inspired by this book i read called the relic um I don't know if any of you, if if you read it, there's also a movie. It's uh, like a New York museum where there's a monster, and and I I didn't even see a, an image of it. So my it was a lizardy thing, uh, uh, that that monster. Uh, but then I like we talked about it. What type of a what what works in the game? So so the combination ended up becoming almost like a monkey like but snake-like so if you see its head it's kind of like it's 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 and and when it moves into a hole it kind of folds up and becomes a, almost a snake-like uh, motion but when it walks it's much more like a mon monkey-like when it walks and that we started off and it became the first version of it actually became too monkey-like so we had to uh tone it back a bit and and uh, we started working with this kind of like twitchy animations as well and worked those in and then we had those where he walks on two legs which i think adds a lot when you get those kind of glimpses of it, it I, for me that's the uh, those really add to the to the monster because also of course from the beginning we said it has to be a uh, humanoid monster in a way because of its uh, where it comes from and and having and so also having it be two-faced so if you look at it one side of the face is more human than the other the other one is more kind of reptile uh, like uh, looking and it all just came from ideas and us talking and then uh, trying them out and then reiterating on it but the mechanics and how the monster worked in the game i think that was set very early on even like at the dlc state which was just a <laughs> few days as i said and there's one point worth pointing out because i have it that that's a clear point in the game when the game went to from being scary to being i went to thomas and said hey we made a change in the game now and it could actually be a, too scary this game 
and he's like perfect (laughs) (laughs) i was was more worried Uh, like okay i can hardly play this game and that that moment was actually we had a where we initially we had a plan where where you could switch on and off you can switch on and off the light switches uh, which means a level can have certain areas be dark, certain areas be light. And that means that uh, in the first version, the monster would only be going around in dark areas, even if the generator was on. But that just became bad for the understanding of the player, because if you were in a lit area and you hear him walking around, you don't know if it's in a dark area or not. So players were just saying like, okay, but the generator doesn't seem to work at all. So we said, let's do it much more binary. So like the generator being on, that that's something that that uh, deters the stalker. Uh, and then instead we have him much more like grunting from the holes and reaching out sometimes you've seen it and have the smoke coming out of the hole and those kind of things and when that came it put, like for me it just ramped up the tension of being in a room where you hear him it just yeah that 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 was the key moment i think for the game in the development on how, uh, when it comes to scariness yeah, I remember playing uh, with haptic headphones on <laughs> for that because it helps out, out with my hearing. And yeah, that was awful. Then just hearing where these little guttural sounds are coming from in the walls all the time, which I hadn't noticed when I had done my like first 20, 30 minutes in the game. And then, yeah, it was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, intense. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. It's always great when you see enemy design that complements the environment and vice versa when an environment and, you know, the mechanics that go with it complement the monster itself. Cause you know, something Neil and I have chatted about countless times is like in horror films, right? The third act for some films can be the weakest cause you've seen the monster and mm. all its horrifying glory. But that was a fun part about, you know, the approach with the bunker and pairing it with an environment when light and you know, light source and whatnot uh, is so integral to kind of just like that atmosphere, that ambiance, which, you know, if, unless, you you know want to run right up to the monster. You're not going to see it in its you know horrifying glory no. uh, most of the time. Which I think, if anything, it allows that singular enemy to be terrifying for a lot longer than perhaps some other games where it's like, yeah, okay, I've seen all this has to offer in the first four hours. Hmm. It's kind yeah. of lost the scare factor. But pairing that with the sound design as well was probably uh, you know a big part of that as well. Something also like the rats. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how you guys settled on having the rats because they act as a really nice counterbalance, I think, mm. to the stalking of the stalker. Uh, and then the rats themselves are like very sedentary for the most part, but, you know, act as almost like an environmental enemy and mm. uh, having to get past them. So like what was sort of the um, the approach to designing them or the inclusion mm. of them? Can I just take a step back? Because I think there's something interesting about the uh, about the stalker and and. Sh- <laughs> There's, there's Please do. one thing to add on that is that, I mean, and I love when you feel like, oh, when you come up with an idea and it's not just uh, a one-sided coin, but because it actually adds mm. something positive as well. And that is the, the flickering light that we early on said, when the monster is near, the, the light should flicker more. And that just like you could you could i i used the resemblance saying like it's almost like the scanner in in alien isolation when it starts beeping uh loudly or or uh, or quickly then you know it's it's very close so that was a positive but also what 
of course what it does is that it um doesn't show the monster as as clearly because it's always it's much more difficult getting a clear shot of him when he's in a flickering light uh, and then, of course, add to that that we made sure that none of the death scenes showed uh, the monster clearly. That was like early on decision as well. So none of the death scenes, you won't see his face coming at you or anything like that. It's always just a hand or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, yeah. But okay, um, back to your question. <laughs> uh, there's so much to talk about. It's a small, confined game, but there's so much fun in it, I think. But uh, uh, so the rats, that was actually pretty fun because it was a combination of many things that that led to that. And there was ideas from all over the place. There was, for example, I said, we need more. So going out of the DLC early on and saying this is going to be a standalone game, I said, we need some, we definitely need some more enemies. Um, and then I think it was Thomas who said, but rats, you know, it's a bunker. Do you need to have, need to have rats? And I was like, oh, not rats, just roaming around and jumping at you. That didn't feel like an interesting uh, enemy. And then uh, another question and another, uh, then Rasmus, the art director, uh, art lead said something along the lines, can we have codes like the, the officers write down codes somewhere and you can have codes that open something. And then all of a sudden I watched uh, Resident Evil 2 uh, playthrough. I think it was a Resident Evil 2 remake where there's uh, one of the rooms in the police station has these uh, lockers where, you need, oh, where yeah. you need to find the buttons to put them in. I always question, yeah. why can't you just remove the button and put it in the other place? <laughs> but okay, uh, it's not an immersive sim, so that they are fine. But I mean, uh, that just spurred the idea of having the mission storage area. And then all of a sudden, mission storage. And then what if the corpses actually had dog attacks with the codes for the mission area and then we let the rats eat on the corpses and all of a sudden that made the rats feel much more interesting because now they were not just random enemies or something that jumped at you but it's something you feel as a player that you want to i mean want to within uh, uh what's it called situational marks but i, I don't know Swedish, we call it that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so you want to interact with because you want to get to the codes. So it becomes not only an obstacle that could lie in your way somewhere, but it's also something you feel like, mm, how can I do this? And can I do it? And however you do it, it could be a new way of actually triggering the stalker to your place as well. So adding to the dynamic nature of the whole game where the stalker, where your actions should uh, uh, really be the driver and not scripted events uh, should. So, so it just fell into place with that. Those, those ideas came together into, into that and we just implemented it. It's it, there was, this was a thing that the team talked about being so fun. We just tried things out on the fly and very few things got cut. Could you share what a couple of those ideas you guys had that were cut inevitably from the bunker? Were there any ideas that were maybe too big for the confines of there the, was, the bunker? Uh, basically, I think there's 
there's one big thing, uh, one big thing. I mean, it was an additional thing. It was a bonus thing, but it's always been, uh, I, I hated the fact that we didn't get it in. The, you know, the, the flooded area uh, when you're going down into the Roman tunnels, uh, throughout the last months of development, there was always on the list of things to do was to have a big rat in that water. Uh, so you could see it like moving around on the, on the surface of the water yeah. until you you got the water drained and then you would have an encounter with a, a bigger like an even more mutated rat but that uh, eventually came to a point where okay we either need to move the release date um or we do the like if we're going to do the rat or we we go ahead without it and i think it was an additional positive we even planned to have it randomly pop up in other levels so we even have had a test for it but it showed also that it's it had to have uh, so much ai built into it and things like that so that that is the the thing that we cut um and apart from that there's there's i can't really think of big things that we cut i mean there's there's tweaks we made like for example the stopwatch that was also very early on something i wanted to have with people were questioning why do you want a stopwatch that doesn't do anything in this game yeah, it's going to stress people out no <laughs> but it's so fun when people are even when they have it out when they yeah. run around with it it's always like they are uh, stressing themselves out because you hear the ticking from mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say it's like any equipment you carry in the game is always just like that isn't like a gun just doesn't make you feel safe at all it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah it's like i'll go get the torch out for a bit i know that the consequence of using that is like oh i've got to use the stopwatch and every time he's like I want to put it away really quickly, but I also need it. And it's like yeah. having to juggle like that is so intense. <laughs> There's well. tons of micro decisions. I, I kind of, um, that, that's what I realized as well. It's so many micro decisions. I even consider not pulling the cord on the flashlight being a decision, basically, because yeah. you kind of worry that, oh, I shouldn't pull the cord because it makes so much sound. So you make so many decisions and that brings you further into the immersion of the game. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I lost track of where we, what we were talking. About. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's me rambling, uh, rambling too much, I guess. But yeah, we're just saying on that what you're saying about the torch. I, I did find that an interesting sort of evolution of the light source. You know, in previous games, you know, it was matches or lanterns and things like that stuff that would have limited use because they were, you know, here it's now technically you've got an infinite life source mm. but it only works for a limited time and it was like that like many other little decisions this always felt like oh we did this in previous games and we want to kind of move forward and make this a bit more action orientated i suppose is one way of putting it but it's like yeah the ways of making you feel safe whilst also refreshing the reason why it's a bad idea to um overuse the mechanic mm. Yeah, and there's a lot of decisions taken during this project where the decisions were based on the fact that we could see pros and cons. So they already mm. almost immediately um, kind of balanced out. And that is one of them, the, the torch or yeah. the flashlight. Because like also the game always... We didn't want any scripted. Uh, there's very few scripted things regarding the stalker. So instead, allow for the player to so that there's actually quite a 
like a, an advanced thing re- related to how much sound you you make and and where the how the monster actually get interested in you and it depends on your actions and the torch uh, the flashlight is one of those uh but there's a lot of these decisions that always like for example can we hide under tables can we hide under beds but then it becomes just this hiding game no because we have the generator that's burning so when you sit there mm. you're gonna be like oh shit i'm just draining fuel here <laughs> uh, so uh, so many things just came together with all of the mechanics and especially the generator the flashlight these kind of things just they 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 created this kind of nice uh, universe where uh, all of them kind of just mashed together yeah. and, and and balanced yeah. out but it's a uh, so how the decision came to be, I don't know, just ideas, initial ideas with the flashlight, like the flashlight's going to make noise because it's kind of boring to make another game. I think it works really well in The Dark Descent and in Rebirth with with light sources. But now we're, we're having the generator as the foundation of this um, mm. uh, darkness and light mechanic. Then we don't have to go looking for light sources as well so give them a uh give give the player a, a an infinite light source but place a negative uh, aspect on it and i think this is uh, those people that don't like the game i think there's th- th- there are a few out there even if like looking at the steam page now it looks superb i mean we're kind of like 93 <laughs> percent or something but there are people who don't like it and i've seen some play where people don't like it and i can honestly say that at least a few of those that i've seen that are the people that maybe don't really care about how they pull the 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 flashlight and the monster just Mm. comes out and grabs them and they feel it's uh, unfair Uh, and also running (laughs) the players running a lot (laughs) so i mean it's it's those kind of things but that's if you want to make a streamlined game that works kind of for everyone then that the bunker isn't that game uh yeah sure. you'd lose some you know massive bite yes. in it really if you yeah you know, try and complement everybody's thing and that, that's just it people have different play styles and some genres and types of games they will not gel with because it's not how they play yeah and yeah, impatience even for me you know i having years of survival horror games and immersive sims and stuff I still have those horrible impulses sometimes to just do the stupid thing and just think, can I just rush through this bit? Can I just shoot my way through this bit like that? And then knowing that it will lead to frustration. But yeah, it's or it's got to be a challenge, but at least then you know, you're staying true to what you wanted to do yeah. then by keeping it like this. And in the bunker, it actually works sometimes, be more aggressive. But its yeah. long-term effects, is, of course, could be damaging because the monster comes back angrier and takes more bullets and stuff like that. So... <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Some people probably make, uh, you know, an assumption like, oh, there's going to be weapons in this game now. Mm. So I can just play this like every other game. But, you know, very smartly, there's checks and balances to everything. Yeah. So the fact that the light source you have is infinite, there has to be a balance to that. Otherwise, as you said, it would just be a hiding game or it would just be I'm just going to illuminate everything. Mm. But you have to have those balances. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of times you mentioned, you know, things have just come up from just, you know, ideas and sharing ideas within the team. I'm curious, you know, what does that kind of look like? at Frictional? How do you guys kind of get together and share ideas? Do they kind of just come up from, you know, development process? Or do you guys like have a set time where you'd get together and sort of workshop ideas or share ideas and 
give one another feedback. We have a so we have a specific uh, point in time after each sprint where we have what we call a show and tell. So there we have at Frictional, we try to have a very, very open approach to that. So we're like 35 people now. We run two projects. We have a, our own engine. So it's quite a small studio for bit, trying to do a lot of things. But uh, in the show and tells, everyone can feedback on everyone. So you can be uh, 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 someone working in the tech team that feeds back on art yeah. stuff or the or vice versa. And, and, uh, and it's very open. But I think most of where the ideas came from during this project, it's more specific meetings where, for example, you had a meeting about something else and then ideas pop up there. I don't know. It's very difficult to identify where mm -hmm. they were mentioned, but we don't have specific like idea meetings or anything like that, <laughs> uh, apart from the show and tells where, but that's basically showing, it's basically after the fact because you've, done something and either you've implemented something or you've written or or drawn something and then uh, people can feedback on it so it's more of a feedback session rather than an idea session but of course yes. ideas come up there as well stuff then can obviously you go oh well we can't do that for this game but maybe that's a good idea that's sort of like the next thing yeah that we do yeah but there's there's one example of how things can pop up and that's just in a in a chat for example so uh, as you can see, like the tactility was important for me, at least when I pitched the idea that everything, you know, you pull the, the, the flashlight with an animation, mm. even to the point if you have the gun equipped, you have a specific animation for holding the gun still and pulling. So everything like that. And then we had what we call the ready to use functionality that you always had to hold like the aim button. It was the aim button for the gun. Uh, and the same goes for a grenade. Then you just put your finger in the sprint or whatever it's called and then get ready to throw it. But you can change your mind and not do it. And that, for me, that feels like you're interacting in the world just by doing that little thing. And then we had the question about, should we have to do that for the generator? Or can we just run up to the generator and push quickly, boom, 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 just fill it up so to make it more efficient for the player. But then we came to the conclusion, no, if it's this approach we have for everything else, then we should have that for the only the only thing where you can just click is the save, uh, save lamp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, it's basically everything is tactile. Um, and then someone just said, but if you can do that, then you need to be able to pour, pour fuel on the ground as well. So that was like halfway through development and we didn't have plans to pour fuel on the ground. Uh, and all of a sudden, yes, then we can shoot the, the <laughs> fuel. And then it's just, this is an example of how organically the the whole game just, those things were not part of the initial pitch or anything. It just pops up and then you see, boom, all of these po potential ways of, of using it and how we can make it like, how it can fuel the fuel. Yeah. No pun intended, but how it can fuel the <laughs> the gameplay in that sense by by uh, and then all of a sudden that was a new mechanic that we tried out the day after honestly or something like that and then we just wow this and that's just someone writing it in a chat based off of something yeah. else. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which clearly you know you guys are giving one another feedback, 
um, you know, with Soma, right? That was a highly regarded game. Um, its enemy design, however, was slightly a point of contention that kind of ultimately um, there was a rework around that where there was the the mode where it's like combat, you don't take damage, right? Um, so yeah, safe mode. So, you know, that was, I would assume clearly um, a reaction to feedback that was being uh, received from audiences and fans. So, you know, would you say that that's kind of a big part in the aftermath of releasing a game, kind of listening to fan feedback or, you know, player feedback in general and taking that in and kind of whether it's looking at the past project or just looking towards the future, kind of taking that feedback in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, without a doubt. But, uh, and for uh, for Soma, I think it also, it has to make sense though. <laughs> I mean, from yeah. for, for us and, and with Soma, seeing how people praise the narrative and the theme of the game and then people saying they had issues they were not horror game uh, fans or whatever that that didn't like the encounters or or i had problems with them in certain cases and all of a sudden it just makes sense let people uh ex experience the narrative uh in a safe zone and and take all of that in um and then what we did fairly soon after that was on our own initiative, I think, was to make hard mode for Amnesia the Dark Descent. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. And that made sense. That that game shouldn't have, in our opinion, a safe <laughs> mode. Uh, no. But it should have... A, and, and then came Rebirth, where we had an adventure mode, which is more similar to safe mode, definitely more similar to safe mode than hard mode. And and that's also because of the narrative of of the game. But And then for Bunker, actually, all of the things we released in the Halloween patch was already planned. It was just yeah. a matter of time. And for us, a matter of when do we want to release the game. In the best of worlds, that would ever already be part of the first version, to be honest. But we didn't make it. And that we had some delays as well just before release. So so it wasn't we didn't have a chance to get the shell shocked or the custom settings in. Um so that had to come afterwards. And then yeah, and for example, I would say the added uh, stalker unpredictability do you know there's mm -hmm. a setting for that yeah. that we even applied to hard mode for the first playthrough i think and it's there for the shell shock mode and you can turn it on and off for custom mode that that is something that came from just looking at people's feedback uh and seeing that people started to kind of uh, understand how to counter the the stalker yeah yeah, yeah i mean that update in general just did a lot to sort of give freshness to replayability didn't mm. it because it wasn't just that it's like you know the reorganizing of where you find things and how you get about it yes. and then obviously if you, if you want to stack those extra things on that make it even tougher on yourself if you are sadistic <laughs> enough to do it of course yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah but it's it, it's a really good way of like keeping this really replayable loop that the game has you know more replayable yeah i heard people have played it 20 <laughs> times i mean like players it's I, I hear it a lot and that is just fantastic that and yeah. that is from that core aspect of making it challenging making it dynamic based off of players uh decisions randomness i mean even the traps are random so 
the the traps you step on traps i don't know the most common thing i think i do it all the time as well when i play the game is you jump over a trap once and then you run on it the way back <laughs> by mistake <laughs> you feel so good about it ah, so i got you and then you and then you jump over it and then you completely forget about it on the way back and then you have a shit show on your hands um but i mean all of those things is uh, yeah super fun to see that that panned out i remember some people actually questioning the random location of items as well early on but but i'm happy we went for it because how much replayability is this going to add and then the same person implemented it and came back and said wow it's really cool with the <laughs> with the randomness of the items on their own and have you played, did you play Shellshock mode, for example, both of you? or? I, I have tried Shellshock mode and played a bit of it, but I'm, I'm still in that playthrough oh, okay. at this point. I was going to say, I'm savoring that playthrough. Um, I started it and got through a chunk of it and then got <laughs> distracted and came back to it just because, you know, you get the extra challenge. But then, as you've been saying, like getting to re-experience an environment is one of those things that I'm, I'm looking forward to when I get some some time off. Yeah, and what I really like about it is the, 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 that resources are so scarce. So you have to be creative and there are so many solutions like the rat tunnel in maintenance, which uh, where there's tons of rats. I mean, they could be, since we have randomness, they, it could be much easier to get through that tunnel. But okay, similar situations, You all of a sudden you, okay, I don't have any bullets. I don't have any Molotovs. I don't have anything to like, no grenades even, but I can pour some fuel and I can flow a, throw a flare and set fire to that or whatever. And you start becoming, and I've like heard stories about people doing things that I didn't think about uh, to get through that tunnel, for example. So uh, I think the creativity and having like less resources uh, is is what really makes the replayability shine in this game as well, in in a way. And Absolutely. and with custom mode, you can actually, if you like certain aspects on how it is on normal, you can keep those but ramp up the like by having less resources and stuff like that maybe you want the monster yeah. to be less aggressive or whatever so. i was gonna say even and also like the more accessibility settings you added as well i found quite handy with the uh yeah the closed captions especially for the creature noises because I, I can't always have headphones playing and so it's like that's the next best thing for me and that was really handy mm. so it's like it, that was a cool sort of addition and i do like that you have those sliders as well now but you can just as you say tailor it that certain way and mix and match um i always say it's a good sign of any game if you can play it on a regular mode or an easier mode and enjoy it so much that you sort of progress up through mm. different tiers on off your own back just because you you're curious and you mm. want to try it out and see how it goes like that you know i always say this about XCOM. that's how i always started oh, yeah. it was like easy 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 medium hard hard let's let's go full-on sadistic now and see how that goes <laughs> so, like that and yeah this is a game that sort of gets that sort of idea yeah and to piggyback off of the accessibility part like in an age where whether it's you want to say it's like the discourse around games and stuff. Some people at pocket of the gamers and whatnot tend to be like, well, you know, this is the intended way to play it. And it's just nice to see that, you know, developers are still including features and sliders for different settings and whatnot that make it 
more accessible to more people. You know, sickos like Neil and I are going to bump that difficulty up to a degree because we want that challenge. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, I can't say that all of my friends in my personal life or whatever, like, are really into hardcore horror games or horror games in general. But having that slider at least makes it an easier game for me to kind of sell them on. Because hmm. I'm like, you know, it's very scary. It's very creepy. It's challenging. But the challenge is how much challenge you actually want in an experience based off using, hmm. utilizing those sliders, making it accessible while still retaining what makes the bunker, you know, so unique and such mm -hmm. a standout in that regard. And I just wanted to add to that. I mean, that discourse, I, I don't know if it's that active anymore, but it was in the past, I know for sure. Uh, and my mm -hmm. opinion is like a game like this, for example, I don't think it matters how it's intended to be played because players have their no. own pre preconditions on how they can play a game. I mean, a person that likes to sit under a table for a long time, they probably need a generator that lasts longer. Players that <laughs> that don't um, that can't stomach a timer in games like this. There are people who have said that oh, I wish I could play this because. But so we added that in the custom settings that you can actually have an infinite uh, generator even so you don't have to care about that and i think it's a matter of just making it accessible to people and have them experience the game i mean and then you play that you wish uh, and of course the, the 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 outset for this game was to make it a challenge so sure. uh that's yeah. why we we took it all the way with all of these custom settings and and everything so uh, i i think we haven't heard one single person saying anything about that being a bad thing by the way uh i i and i yeah, read way so. too much feedback so, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh and i've never heard anyone say that oh you should play it on this or i've heard people saying that normal is too easy and stuff like that but i mean that that's that's up to them for others normal is too hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was gonna say you know the addition of the randomized nature of items and things like that uh, just creates this whole new crop of war stories from people that people are going to share online and whatnot. And, you know, thinking about a feature like adding a fuse box system, which I don't know if, you know, sometimes people might go into something and not realize everything that's being included in some of the uh, additional content and like stumbling upon that for the first time. And that being a genuine surprise is kind of just like, oh, shit, there's this whole new facet to this now that I have to kind of be cognizant of and I need to scour environments like twice as much as I was previously, because mm. if I miss that, then all of a sudden there's this puzzle that I can't get through, mm. um, which if anything, you know, kind of just, again, speaking to the replayability of the bunker um, has been something that I've been enjoying, you know, not only myself, but also seeing people that um, are playing it for the first time or, you know, for the fifth time um, and just kind of like stumbling upon new things that then, you know, still work within the framework that was there originally. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is uh, introducing that new facet. Yeah. I'm super happy to see people just <laughs> like it's it's i mean the the one thing people have asked and what we would like dream of is uh let's say uh a randomized environment completely but that's mm. such an undertaking uh, uh, yeah. like yeah <laughs> uh, so so instead like adding these kind of that's also like a, a suggestion from someone i don't remember who it was just came with the suggestion and you, uh, did the, you were asking about me as the creative lead i mean I don't come up with all of these ideas. There are ideas from other people, but if if anything, I am the one that needs to say, "Hey, this needs to go in because it goes with the whole vision or whatever." And 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 just 
like that thing because we wanted to switch it up. We wanted to break the linearity that people start to see after playing it a few times. And uh, the, the whole uh, uh, system with the, with those uh, oh, fuse, fuse uh, boxes makes you like break apart that linearity in a way because you now might even have to search for, for fuses in a dark area all of a sudden. And, and that, that's not something you had to do on a normal playthrough maybe. And uh, yeah, now it's super fun to just see that it, it seems to have worked really well. And and making switches like that within the confound uh, of of what we actually created initially, um, it's super fun seeing. For example, on the Steam Workshop now, there's a there's one mod specifically that I played myself on my stream actually, which is uh, called Survival, where someone has taken it a step further, but still building on top of what we do, but mixing things up in the environment, having blockages in certain places, but you still have to go through. And there's tons of things done in that mod that just, yeah, just mix it up quite a lot. So I think with those kind of mods as well, we can see some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, you should try that out if you ever get tired of the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the cool things, right? The fact that there are people out there that can basically manufacture potential war stories, right? Because of the things that they're putting into that game mm. and just seeing how that kind of complements the framework that's already there, right? And the fact that they can kind of throw these curveballs uh, in there for players that maybe, you know, perhaps even the devs themselves didn't think about or something along those lines yeah. um, is really cool. And not a game that I went into expecting like, oh, there would be people making things for this game, but in browsing it and just seeing like other people's creativity and how they uh, sort of uh, take in games and whatnot and then, express their ideas in a way that uh, can come to fruition is quite cool, I assume, obviously. Uh, much cooler when you're actually the person making a game. Yeah, it's it's super fun. And uh, it's super fun just seeing people attempt to play the game. <laughs> I have this <laughs> kind of uh, hidden uh, thing where I quite often join Twitch streams in the background and, and sometimes I even reveal my identity. <laughs> That's super fun. <laughs> I've done that a few times, but I often go in. I've I've been kind of obsessed by this a bit too much to be honest. But uh if I if I don't have a good show to watch or something like that, I go mm. I end up on a bunker stream watching people play the game. <laughs> and that's super fun because I mean that is to me because it's so dynamic as well it creates i've seen so many situations that i that are unique and uh, i love that, that that to me makes me feel good <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a it's a toy box effect yeah. it's like people take different parts out make different stories with it it's just that kind of game really does work well for that i suppose you know it's a very pc centric game in the way it's built up and i think that's why that audience can appreciate that and sort of add on top of it in the modern community as yeah. well yeah well um my last question was actually going to be about twitch but uh unless neil did you have one last thing you wanted to no add? no that's, that's no you you go with that all right so since you'd mentioned twitch now um you actually have started streaming games uh with some frequency you recently had played i think it was prey and now you're in the middle or on part of uh, dishonored 2 yeah so i'm curious you know for you like are there um, a few games on your bucket list that you'd like to stream in the future uh, i mean not on my 
bucket. There is one that's kind of haunting me because of my past, and that's Jagged Alliance 3. <laughs> but it's because I was a big fan of Jagged. I played Jagged Alliance, the first one, quite a lot when I was younger. Uh, so Jagged Alliance 3, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not, but it's. Uh, I might have... Uh, evolved over the years <laughs> but apart from that i played prey and i just like fell in love with it so mm. so so much so then i went straight into dishonored one and now i'm already on Dishonored two and this like i i started streaming i don't know december uh, i wasn't expecting to to go this fast at it i'm like every single moment or opportunity i get i'm <laughs> jumping into this but it's more for me this this is a hobby stream activity and i and it's really made me so i don't know if you guys have kids or family and stuff like that but, yeah but for me, it's since my first son, he's 13 now. Since then, I, the, the amount of playing time has gone down seriously. <laughs> like, and now I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. And all of a sudden, I have a bit more time on my hands. They like to play their games so that daddy can play his stuff. And uh, and I've just come back to loving playing games again. And it's it seems arcane just struck a chord with me Um so much so I, I absolutely love the openness the player agency the the systems and i can't really begin to say how much i loved prey in so many aspects. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's such a wonderful game yeah and, and i think just the fact they took it sci-fi and that whole talus one environment oh mm -hmm. just yeah we, we, as you uh, naturally one of those games we chatted about at length because it's just uh, that thing and you know, Dishonored 2 I, I think there's been any game I've been so quick to just start a new game of mm. the minute I finish it yeah, it's like I want to see what I could do now and I know all this stuff like that and just see how that cycle goes mm. oh yeah just yeah Arcane just have that special touch with those things the fun thing about these things is that I don't think I would have had the so I've started so many games over the past 13 years then I've started mm. so many games that I just went into the tutorial or started after the tutorial <laughs> and then I go like ah, I can't really bother with this <laughs> and I'm worried that Prey would have had that effect on me if I didn't have my 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 little following uh, that I have on Twitch actually with people that really love arcane games and know them uh, inside out. So they actually gave me the like they picked out the important stuff uh, on what I needed to know and kind of fed it to me instead of me having to kind of sit there and dwell on on a on a stream as well. Uh, so and also you get this moment where you actually invest into. Like, I'm going to stream now, and then I know people are going to be there, so I need to bloody stream. I can't just say I can't <laughs> be can't bothered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that, together with the fact that, that some of the people have been helping me out, has been really like the way I can uh, start loving to play, actually, games again, in a way. The, it sounds crazy uh, being... Uh, game developer that you guys seems to have the best uh, best gig in the world you can you play so <laughs> many games uh, but i i can't really do that not not as many as i'd like unfortunately juggling the day job with uh you know the freelance critic stuff but it is relatable in the sense that like streaming it sounds like gives you an opportunity to prioritize something it's like okay i've got 
an hour, I'll play this game that I've always wanted to do or something. Mm -hmm. Likewise, with the podcast, it's like sometimes we can schedule things because it lines up with coverage, you know, whatever preview builds come out, stuff like that. Sometimes I see a game or Neil sees a game and it's like, hey, that looks cool. We need something to talk about in two weeks. Hmm. There, there you go. We're going to use it as an opportunity just to talk about this game that, yeah. um, you know, for some people might be like, well, it's a random thing to cover. It's like f six months old, a year and a half, <laughs> three years old. But at the end of the day, like we block out reasons to dive into certain things. And it's the same with film too, you know, doing movie podcasts or whatever. It's like, oh, I always wanted to watch X, Y, or Z from some random director. Hmm. Now I have a reason to, because somebody wants to chat about it on a podcast. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know a different format, but it's still the same kind of uh, relatable uh, way to kind of schedule your time or budget your time, I suppose. I was going to say as well, you know, I, I have two children just like a year younger than yours in that, and mine are eight and 12. Like, and for me, I was a stay-at-home dad with them hmm. like that. And in ironically, it had the opposite effect where I actually got to play games in a different way and you know limit my time in a way that felt beneficial and it ended up becoming more of a hobby again more than just playing stuff because it was there mm. and you know, that in turn led to me led to me doing this and doing all this job and now i'm at the other end of it they're at this age um my job changed enough that i don't review games anymore so <laughs> it's pretty much my only chance to play games is like oh half an hour of this half an hour of that oh do something for the podcast that's it <laughs> so, that's it yeah, so, yeah, it is. Um, it, it's fun still to sort of discover things anew like that, even to this day, and still be find something special and new about video games after all these years. And also watching the kids how they play now. My sons, they play. Oh, it's yeah. a very social <laughs> thing now. So I mean, yeah, playing Fortnite very. and they like mm -hmm. so many friends <laughs> through Fortnite and things like that. And says they want to go visit the people in other cities and you've never like met the kids that they're <laughs> talking about. So it's, it's a very different world uh, right now as well. So yeah. I remember sitting there with a Commodore 64 and a tape recorder just waiting for the game to start. And that's <laughs> that horrible screech. Yeah, yeah, but, things, yeah. But that horrible screech was also connected to a sense of like, uh, what do you call it? It's something to look forward to and be excited. Yeah, anticipation. anticipation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, I had a ZX Spectrum. So oh, okay. It was like our first one, yeah. And the, the, the expectation was there. And um, yeah, it was a very strange sort of time to just think back now when it's like you almost complain of the loading screens for longer than 30 seconds. But <laughs> back then you're like waiting for minutes for that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. If, if, if anything, the, the thing I wish my kids could have now was this connection to specific games. And uh, I think what, yeah. the, what they do now, they have connections with their friends. And then if they mm. play a single player game or something like that, they can easily just chug it away and pick up something else because yeah. it's so easy to get mm. hold of games. Whereas when we were younger, we were like looking through the catalogs and deciding for Christmas, we want this game. <laughs> and then you played yeah. that game till it broke. Uh, Yep. <laughs> there was nothing like, to play yeah. you had invested think, so much into it yeah yeah. I think as well I, I tend to just buy a bunch of games and if they play them they play them like that and I, I remember doing that with Tears of the Kingdom last year I played it for like an hour I didn't see it again after that my son played it for like two weeks solid did everything in it and then just gone done mm. like that like it's like I can't do that anymore it's like no. you know I can't like be that you know focused and obsessed yeah. on one game for at a time for so long guys it's frightening when you think that most of the time as you say just playing stuff like Fortnite and doing you, you just look in on it sometimes and go 
they're not really doing much here. It's just basically you know, an online playground, isn't mm. it? For them. More of a sport. Yeah. And I don't have kids, but I'm a teacher and I work with young kids. So it's like all I hear about all day is Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, Call of Duty um, and, you know, once in a while Madden or something like that. But it is funny just like, I don't know, I feel like my friends and I, when I was a kid, we didn't necessarily like buy a lot of games, but we had like older brothers or cousins or friends. And so we were always passing these games around Mm -hmm. to one another, these single player games. Um, And with like kids nowadays, it's like, oh, there's three to five things maybe that they're playing and that's kind of it mm. in that in my experience and just like what they are all about and it it's very different and just like thinking about the longevity of you know like a fortnight that's been the news every day for the last like 10 years of my <laughs> my teaching career and whatnot um but at the same time like they tell me about like the skins that are come out for fortnight and stuff yeah. and i'm like oh yeah that's like all my favorite movies horror movies and stuff like that they're like you know what like a xenomorph is or the terminator and i'm just like <laughs> one day one day we'll talk about terminator or, or alien or something like that and now in the last series latest season here they released some update with um, peter griffin from family guy yeah, <laughs> yeah. So all, yes. all of a sudden my nine-year-old says can i watch family guy i've never asked that before yeah. and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's very skilled businessman at uh, at epic and uh, yeah whoever owns the rights for Family guy, yeah. Really? I mean, I've I've seen my kids, my my son getting excited about Raiden from Metal Gear Solid Two being the game. Is like <laughs> twenty years ago, I wouldn't have heard anyone getting excited about Raiden in, in anything apart from me at that time. <laughs> just it's like just bizarre. Yeah. He's like, oh, can I have the Raiden skin? It's like, uh-huh, yeah, but still, you know. It's like, it's like, I mean, I've bought it for myself, so that's fine. I uh, don't. I, casually dabble in that game and mainly do it to collect the skins it seems but uh right. yeah it's uh it's odd just seeing like your game heroes and things and cultural icons sort of repackaged that way but there is one example in fortnite now where there's like a connection to maybe what i'm looking for with the investment you know they brought back the og the original map yeah and uh, mm. like three or four months ago and that just or maybe it was two months ago but that just brought players back my son my 13 year old had mm. started playing valorant instead and didn't play fortnite anymore all of a sudden they were all back the servers were down there was yeah. like <laughs> and and i guess that was some kind of investment on their side uh, where they felt yeah. the nostalgia of, and now actually he's still playing fortnite after that so he didn't go back to yeah. Valorant. Yeah, it seems to be working yeah, yeah that's it that's <laughs> My nostalgic moment with that game was a few months ago at this point. One of the, my students came up and was like, oh, uh, the, did you hear about that big rap concert that was in Fortnite? And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, this uh, this like old school rapper Eminem. And that made me feel like I was about 65 <laughs> years old. Uh, <laughs> describing the music of my youth as being you know classic rap or something along those lines <laughs> yeah we we don't get younger unfortunately no, no. <laughs> but uh frederick it was such a pleasure man finally getting to uh sit down and chat with you this was on the books for a while and we were uh so happy that you were able to accommodate our our plentiful questions about uh the bunker and uh rebirth and you know your kind of journey in uh arriving at frictional games so thank you very much Thank you, guys. It's been fantastic. I hope I didn't ramble too much. I, I have a tendency to do that with when we start opening the bunker <laughs> up. That's uh, fine. You're on the right show for it. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No. Thank you. It was it was uh, my pleasure. Definitely. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. You can follow Horror Bites' Twitter account at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, you can send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.